0: Everyone and welcome back to Tangents on Cracked Spines Again, um, the stories that I read while in the public domain may not be suitable for all audiences So please use discretion Quick recap on uh, the last episode Uh, Victor Frankenstein went ahead uh, and climbed a mountain uh, to try and make himself feel better and, you know, to be in solitude with his grief and self-loathing, ran into his uh, creation, and kept being like, Come at me! Let me kill you!" And the monster was like, yeah, like you could. I just want you to listen to my story, okay? No! Hey, look, this is your fault. Just just listen to me already. Finally, Victor gives in and follows him to a random cave hut. Um, and sits and listens to his creation story. His, Which was essentially, I woke up like a newborn babe. I didn't know anything. Light hurt. I didn't know what any of this was. Oh, look, berries are edible. And they keep me from, you know, having pains in my stomach, the river keeps me from also feeling bad, sleep is good, cold is bad, fire good. How do I maintain fire? Oh look, I made firework. And then he went into a town and the town ran him out because he looked like a monstrous creature. And then he stumbled upon uh, an old farmer's uh, shack, stole his food when the farmer ran away in fear, and then took a nap and then moved on. He's totally not reenacting Goldilocks. Um, And then moved on to another farmhouse, but he learned his lesson that people will react poorly to him, so he hid in their, like, wood shack, essentially, next to the pigsty, and peeped in on them through a hole in the wall, and observed how their daily life worked. And that's where we continue. Chapter 11 I lay on my straw, but I could not sleep. I thought of the occurrences of the day, what tref- chiefly stuck me. What chiefly struck me was the gentle manners of these people, and I longed to join them, but dared not. I remembered that too well the treatment I had suffered the night before from the barbarous villagers, and resolved whatever course of conduct I might hereafter think it right to pursue, that for the present I would remain quietly in my hovel, watching and endeavoring to discover the motives which influenced their actions. The cottagers arose the next morning before the sun. The young woman arranged the cottage and prepared the food, and the youth departed after the first meal. This day was passed in the same routine as that which preceded it. The young man was constantly employed out of doors, and the girl in various laborious occupations within. The old man, whom I soon perceived to be blind, employed his leisure hours on his instrument or in contemplation. Nothing could exceed the love and respect which the younger cottagers exhibited toward their venerable companion. They performed towards him every little office of affection and duty with gentleness, and he rewarded them by his benevolent smiles. They were not entirely happy. The young man and his companion often went apart and appeared to weep. I saw no cause for their unhappiness, but I was deeply affected by it. If such lovely creatures were miserable, it was less strange that I, an imperfect and solitary being, should be wretched. Yet why were these gentle beings unhappy? They possessed a delightful house, for such it was in my eyes, and every luxury. They had a fire to warm them when chill and delicious vines when hungry, they were dressed in excellent clothes and still more they enjoyed one another's company and speech, interchanging each day looks of affection and kindness. What did their tears imply? Did they really express pain? I was at first unable to resolve these questions, but perpetual attention and time explained to me many appearances which were at first enigmatic. I mean, I guess that's a good way to, you know, view it, that you kind of are generally better off than somebody else in the world, but it still doesn't make your pain any less. Or there's any worse. A considerable period elapsed before I discovered one of the causes of the uneasiness in this amiable family. It was poverty, and they suffered that evil in a very distressing degree. It, yeah, it is indeed evil. Their nourishment consisted entirely of the vegetables of their garden and the milk of one cow who gave very little during the winter, when its masters could scarcely procure food to support it. They often, I believe, suffered the pangs of hunger very poignantly, especially the two younger cottagers, for several times they placed food before the old man when they reserved none for themselves. This trait of kindness moved me sensibly. I had been accustomed during the night to steal part of their store for my own consumption, but when I found that in doing this I inflicted pain on the cottagers, I abstained and satisfied myself with berries, nuts, and roots, which I gathered from a neighboring wood. Now mind you, he's foraging, not knowing the difference between things that could kill him or not. So either this area has a lot of food that is good to forage, or he's hella lucky, or the fact that he is a man-made human. An artificially man-made human? I guess all humans are technically man-made. Um... has immunity to something? I discovered also another means through which I was enabled to assist their labors. I found that the youth spent a great part of each day in collecting wood for the family fire, and during the night I often took his tools, the use of which I quickly discovered, and brought home furring sufficient for the consumption of several days. I remember the first time that I did this, the young woman, when she opened the door in the morning, appeared greatly astonished on seeing a great pile of wood on the outside. She uttered some words in a loud voice, and the youth joined her, who also expressed surprise. I observed with pleasure that he did not go to the forest that day, but spent it in repairing the cottage and cultivating the garden. By degrees, I made a discovery of still greater moment. I found that these people possessed a method of communicating their existence and feelings to one another by articulate sounds. I perceived that the words they spoke sometimes produced pleasure or pain, smiles or sadness, in the minds and countenances of the hearers. This was indeed a godlike science, and I ardently desired to become acquainted with it, but I was baffled in every attempt I made for this purpose. Their pronunciation was quick, and the words they uttered, not having any apparent connection with visible objects, I was unable to discover any clue by which I could unravel the mystery of their reference. By great application, however, and after having remained during the space of several revolutions of the moon in my hovel, I discovered the names that were given to some of the most familiar objects of discourse. I learned and applied the words fire, milk, bread, and wood. I learned also the names of the cottagers themselves. The youth and his companion had each of them several names, but the old man had only one, which was father. The girl was called Sister, or Agatha, and the young Felix, Brother or Son. I cannot describe the delight I felt when I learned the ideas appropriated to each of these sounds, and was able to pronounce them. I distinguished several other words without being able as yet to understand or apply them, such as good, dearest, unhappy. I spent the winter in this manner. The gentle manners and beauty of the cottagers greatly endeared them to me. When they were unhappy, I felt depressed. When they rejoiced, I sympathized in their joys. I saw few human beings beside them, and if any other happened to enter the cottage, their harsh manners and rude gait only enhanced to me the superior accomplishments of my friends. The old man, I could perceive, often endeavored to encourage his children, as sometimes I found that he called them to cast off their melancholy. He would talk in a cheerful accent and with an expression of goodness that bestowed pleasure even upon me. Agatha listened with respect, her eyes sometimes filled with tears, which she endeavored to wipe away unperceived, but I generally found that her countenance and tone were more cheerful after having listened to the exhortations of her father. It was not thus with Felix. He was always the saddest of the group, and even to my unpracticed senses, he appeared to have suffered more deeply than his friends. But if his countenance was more sorrowful, his voice was more cheerful than that of his sister, especially when he addressed the old man. Oh look, they uh, were like, hmm, father is blind, so we're just gonna keep using happy voices to make it seem like we're happy, so that he doesn't know any better. It's kind of the way we talk to people on the phone and for customer service. We use a happy voice even though we want to strangle most of the customers for their stupidity. Sorry, I digress. I could mention innumerable instances which, although slight, marked the dispositions of these amiable cottagers. In the midst of poverty and want, Felix carried with pleasure to his sister the first little white flower that peeped from beneath the snowy ground. Edelweiss. Early in the morning, before she had risen, he cleared away the snow that obstructed her path to the milk house, drew water from the well, and brought the wood from the outhouse, where, to his perpetual astonishment, he found his door always replenished by an invisible hand. In the day, I believe, he worked sometimes for a neighboring farmer, because he often went forth and did not return until dinner, yet brought no wood with him. At other times he worked in the garden, but as there was little to do in the frosty season, he read to the old man and Agatha. This reading had puzzled me extremely at first, but by degrees I discovered that he uttered many of the same sounds when he read as when he talked. I conjectured, therefore, that he found on the paper signs speech which he understood and i ardently longed to comprehend these also but how was that possible when i did not even understand the sounds for which they stood as signs i improved however sensibly in this science but not sufficiently to follow up any kind of conversation although i applied my whole mind to the endeavor for i easily perceived that although i eagerly longed to discover myself to these cottagers I ought not to make the attempt until I had first become master of their language, which knowledge might enable me to make them overlook the deformity of my figure, for with this also the contrast perpetually presented to my eyes had made me acquainted. I had admired the perfect forms of my cottagers, their grace, beauty, and delicate complexions, but how was I terrified when I viewed myself in a transparent pool? At first I darted back, unable to believe that it was indeed I who was reflected in the mirror. And when I became fully convinced that I was in reality the monster that I am, I was filled with the bitterest sensations of despondence and mortification. Alas, I did not yet entirely know the fatal effects of this miserable deformity. As the sun became warmer and the light of the day longer, the snow vanished and I beheld the bare trees and the black earth. From this time Felix was more employed, and the heart-moving indications of impending famine disappeared. Their food, as I afterwards found, was coarse, but it was wholesome, and they procured a sufficiency of it. Several new kinds of plants sprung up in the garden, which they dressed, and these signs of comfort increased daily as the season advanced. The old man, leaning on his son, walked each day at noon, when it did not rain, as I found it was called when the heavens poured forth its waters. This frequently took place, but a high wind quickly dried the earth, and the season became far more pleasant than it had been. My mode of life in my hovel was uniform. During the morning I attended the motions of the cottagers, and when they were dispersed in various occupations I slept. The remainder of the day was spent in observing my friends. When they had retired to rest, if there was any moon or the night was starlit, I went into the woods and collected my own food and fuel for the cottage. When I returned, as often as it was necessary, I cleared their path of the snow and performed these offices that I had seen done by Felix. I afterwards found that these labors performed by an invisible hand greatly astonished them, and once or twice I heard them on these occasions utter the words, Good Spirit, Wonderful, but I did not then understand the signification of these terms. My thoughts now became more active, and I longed to discover the motives and feelings of these lovely creatures. I was inquisitive to know why Felix appeared so miserable and Agatha so sad. I thought, foolish wretch, that it might be in my power to restore happiness to these deserving people. When I slept or was absent, the forms of the venerable blind father, the gentle Agatha and the excellent Felix, flitted before me. I looked upon them as superior beings who would be the arbiters of my future destiny. I formed in my imagination a thousand pictures of presenting myself to them and their reception of me. I imagined that they would be disgusted until, by my gentle demeanor and conciliating words, I should first win their favor and afterwards their love." You know, he is kind of being a stalker, but he also is homeless with nowhere to go and it should be creepy, but it doesn't get read as creepy. Hmm. It's amazing what a novel can make you think of something. Because under any other circumstance, call the police. These thoughts exhilarated me and led me to apply with fresh ardor to the acquiring the art of language. My organs were indeed harsh but supple, and although my voice was very unlike the soft music of their tones, yet I pronounced such words as I understood with tolerable ease. It was as the ass and the lapdog, yet surely the gentle ass whose intentions were affectionate, although his manners were rude, deserved better treatment than blows and extrication. The pleasant showers and genial warmth of spring greatly altered the aspect of the earth, Men, who before this change seemed to have been hid in caves, dispersed themselves, and were employed in various arts of cultivation. The birds sang in more cheerful tones, and the leaves began to bud forth on the trees. Happy, happy earth. Fit habitation for gods, which, so short a time before, was bleak, damp, and unwholesome. My spirits were elevated by the enchanting appearance of nature, and past was blotted from my... The present was tranquil, and the future gilded by bright rays of hope and anticipations of joy. Chapter twelve. I now hasten to the more moving part of my history. I shall relate events that impressed me with feelings which, from what I was, have made me what I am. Spring advanced rapidly, the weather became fine, and the skies cloudless. It surprised me that what before was desert and gloomy, should now bloom with the most beautiful flowers and verdure. My senses were gratified and refreshed by a thousand scents of delight and a thousand sights of beauty. It was on one of these days when my cottagers periodically rested from labor, the old man played on his guitar and the children listened to him. Guitar? I thought he played a flute. Listeners. Do you remember him having a guitar? I observed that the countenance of Felix was melancholy beyond expression. He sighed frequently, and once his father paused in his music, and I conjectured by his manner that he inquired the cause of his son's sorrow, Felix replied in a cheerful accent, and the old man was recommencing his music when someone tapped on the door. It was a lady on horseback accompanied by a countryman as a guide. The lady was dressed in a dark suit and covered with a thick black veil. Agatha asked a question, to which the stranger only replied by pronouncing, in a sweet accent, the name of Felix. Her voice was musical, but unlike that of either of my friends. On hearing this word, Felix came up hastily to the lady, who, when she saw him, threw up her veil, and I beheld a countenance of angelic beauty and expression her hair of a shining raven black and curiously braided, her eyes were dark but gentle, although animated her features of a regular proportion and her complexion wondrously fair, each cheek tinged with a lovely pink. Felix seemed ravished with delight when he saw her. Every trait of sorrow vanished from his face and it instantly expressed a degree of ecstatic joy, of which I could hardly have believed it capable. His eyes sparkled as his cheek flushed with pleasure, and at that moment I thought him as beautiful as the stranger. She appeared affected by different feelings. Wiping a few tears from her lovely eyes, she held out her hand to Felix, who kissed it rapturously and called her, as well as I could distinguish, his sweet Arabian. She did not appear to understand him, but smiled. He assisted her to dismount and, dismissing her guide, conducted her into the cottage. Some conversation took place between him and his father, and the young stranger knelt at the old man's feet, and would have kissed his hand, but he raised her and embraced her affectionately. I soon perceived that although the stranger uttered articulate sounds, and appeared to have a language of her own, she was neither understood by, or herself understood, the cottagers. They made many signs which I did not comprehend, but I saw that her presence diffused glass Gladness throughout the cottage, dispelling their sorrow as the sun dissipates the morning mists. Felix seemed particularly happy, and with smiles of delight welcomed his Arabian. Agatha, the ever gentle Agatha, kissed the hands of the lovely stranger, and pointing to her brother, made signs which appeared to me to mean that he had been sorrowful until she came. Some hours passed thus, while they, by their countenances, expressed joy, the which cause of which I did not comprehend. Presently I found, by the frequent reoccurrence of one sound which the stranger repeated after them, that she was endeavoring to learn their language, and the idea instantly occurred to me that I should make use of the same instructions to the same end. The stranger learned about twenty words at the first lesson, most of them indeed were those which I had before understood, but I profited by the others. As night came on, Agatha and the Arabian retired early. When they separated, Felix kissed the hand of the stranger and said, Good night, sweet Safi. He sat up much longer, conversing with his father, and by the frequent repetition of her name, I conjectured that their lovely guest was the subject of their conversation. I ardently desired to understand them and bent every faculty towards that purpose, but found it utterly impossible. The next morning, Felix went out to his work, and after the usual occupations of Agatha were finished, the Arabian sat at the feet of the old man and, taking his guitar, played some airs so entrancingly beautiful that they at once drew tears of sorrow and delight from my eyes. She sang, and her voice flowed in a rich cadence, swelling or dying away like a nightingale of the woods. When she had finished, she gave the guitar to Agatha, who, at first declined it she played a simple air and her voice accompanied it in sweet accents but unlike the wondrous st- strain of the stranger the old man appeared enraptured and said some words which agatha endeavored to explain to Safi, and by which he appeared to wish to express that she bestowed on him the greatest delight by her music the days now passed as peacefully as before with the soul all- that joy had taken the place of sadness in the countenances of my friends. Safi was always gay and happy. She and I improved rapidly in the knowledge of language, so that in two months I began to comprehend most of the words uttered by my protectors. Too bad they didn't know that they were, you know, being live-streamed by modern standards. In the meanwhile, also the black ground was covered with herbage and the green banks interspersed with innumerable flowers, sweet to the scent of the eyes. I had to have read that wrong. Sweet to the scent and the eyes. Stars of pale radiance among the moonlight woods. The sun became warmer, the nights clear and balmy, and my nocturnal rambles were an extreme pleasure to me although they were considerably shortened by the late setting and early rising of the sun, for I never ventured abroad during daylight, fearful of meeting with the same treatment I had formerly endured in the first village which I entered. I mean, I get it, I'm nocturnal by choice, but also that's how I make my money. My days were spent in close attention that I might more speedily master the language, And I may boast that I improved more rapidly than the Arabian, who understood very little, and conversed in broken accents, whilst I comprehended and could imitate almost every word that was spoken. While I improved in speech, I also learned the science of letters, as it was taught to the stranger, and this opened before me a wide field for wonder and delight. The book from which Felix instructed Safi was Volney's Ruins of Empires. That's a great first book. I should not have understood the purport of this book had not Felix, in reading it, given every minute explanations. He had chosen this work, he said, because the declamatory style was framed in imitation of the Eastern authors. Through this work I obtained a cursory knowledge of history and a view of the several empires at present existing in the world. It gave me an insight into the manners, governments, and religions of the different nations of the earth. I heard of the slothful Asiatics, of the stupendous genius and mental activity of the Grecians, of the wars and wonderful virtue of the early Romans, and their subsequent degeneration, and the decline of that mighty empire of chivalry, Christianity, and kings. I heard of the discovery of the American Hemisphere, and wept with Safi over the hapless fate of its original inhabitants." Those were very stereotypical, but you know, think about who writes history books. But hey, at least they recognized that what happened in the Americas was not good. These wonderful narrations inspired me with strange feelings. Was man indeed at once so powerful, so virtuous and magnificent, yet so vicious and base? Yes, yes we are. He appeared at one time a mere scion of the evil principle, and at another as all that can be conceived of noble and godlike. To be a great and virtuous man appeared the highest honor that can befall a sensitive being. To be base and vicious as many on record have been appeared the lowest degradation, a condition more abject than that of the blind mole or harmless worm. For a long time I could not conceive how one man could go forth and to murder his fellow, or even why there were laws and governments, but when I heard details of vice and bloodshed, my wonder ceased, and I turned away with disgust and loathing. Every conversation of the cottagers now opened new wonders to me. While I listened to the instructions which Felix bestowed upon the Arabian, the strange system of human society was explained to me. I heard of the division of property, of immense wealth and squalid poverty, of rank, descent, and noble blood. The words induced me to turn towards myself. I learned that the possessions most esteemed by your fellow creatures were high and unsullied, Uh, descent united with riches. A man might be respected with only one of these acquisitions, but without either he was considered, except in very rare instances, as a vagabond and a slave, doomed to waste his powers for the profit of the chosen few. Sound familiar? And what was I? Of my creation and creator I was absolutely ignorant, but I knew that I possessed no money, no friends, No kind of property. I was, besides, endowed with a figure hideously deformed and loathsome. I was not even of the same nature as man. I was more agile than they, and could subsist upon coarser diet. I bore the extremes of heat and cold with less injury to my frame. My stature far exceeded theirs. When I looked around, I saw and heard of none like me. Was I then a monster, a blot upon the earth? from which all men fled, and whom all men disowned? Eh, nah, I've got a song for you, honey. It's called Welcome to the Freak Show, by Cog is look it up. I cannot describe to you the agony that these reflections inflicted upon me. I tried to dispel them, but sorrow only increased with knowledge. Oh, that I had forever remained in my naive wood, nor known or felt beyond the sensations of hunger, thirst, and heat! Of what a strange nature is knowledge! It clings to the mind, when it has once seized on it like a lichen on the rock. I wished sometimes to shake off all thought and feeling, but I learned that there was but one means to overcome the sensation of pain, and that was death, a state which I I feared yet did not understand. I admired virtue and good feelings and loved the gentle manners and amiable qualities of my cottagers. But I was shut out from interco- ugh, from intercourse with them, not the way you think, guys, except through means which I obtained by stealth, when I was unseen and unknown and which rather increased than satisfied the desire I had of becoming one among my fellows. The gentle words of Agatha and the animated smiles of the charming Arabian were not for me. The mild exhortations of the old man and the lively conversation of the loved Felix were not for me. Miserable unhappy wretch. Other lessons were impressed upon me even more deeply. I heard of the difference of sexes, of the birth and growth of children, how the father doted on the smiles of the infant and the lively sallies of the older child. How all the life and cares of the mother were wrapped up in the precious charge. How the mind of youth expanded and gained knowledge of brother, sister, and all the various relationships which bind one human being to another in mutual bonds. But where were my friends and relations? No father had watched my infant days. No mother had blessed me with smiles and caresses, or if they had, all my past life was now a blot, a blind vacancy in which I distinguished nothing. From my earliest remembrance I had been as I then was in height and proportion. I had never yet seen a being resembling me or who claimed anti intercourse with me. What was I? The question again recurred, to be answered only with groans. I will soon exp- blame to what these feelings tended, but allow me now to return to the cottagers, whose story excited in me such various feelings of indignation, delight, and wonder, but which all terminated in additional love and reverence for my protectors, for so I loved, in an innocent, half-painful self-deceit, to call them." Alright, and that's where we will end for today. We are about halfway through the story. I hope you're enjoying it. And if you want to reach out to me or uh, talk to others about the podcast, there is a Facebook page called uh, Tangents on Cracked Spines Book Club. Um... And, yeah, you, if you want to, please reach out and uh, rate me on anywhere uh, you find this podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Um, I'm bad at this because I'm doing it for fun. <laughs> so, thank you all for listening. And I'll talk to y'all later.